welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to I See You. This is episode eight, Healing After Sexual Abuse with Lita Green. Hey everybody. I've gotten so many awesome messages this week. It's made me so happy. Maybe it's because I did my episode on self-compassion and talked to you about my insecurities, (laughs) even with podcasting. But for whatever reason, people have just been especially sweet this week, and it's really meant the world to me. I've received messages through my website, on Facebook, on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is Julie Eliza Lee. I may change that. I may change a few things with my website and social media just so that I have a more uniform name across the board, Um, but I'll let you know if I do. So I'm going to go ahead and start with a message I got about the podcast. This message is from Monica. She says, Julie, I am loving your podcast. I even got my husband listening to it too. Thank you for all your words of advice and your openness of your own struggles. It's so hard to open up and share our struggles sometimes, but I found that when I do, there's such a closer bond to that person. When people really see what we're going through, you feel so much less loneliness and so much more love. Thanks for all your hard work on this. Thank you, Monica. I loved getting that message from you, and I was especially happy to hear that your husband is listening as well. That's awesome. Well, guys, I am going to go ahead and turn the time over to Lita Green. She is the mother of three. She's a speaker. She's a best-selling author. She's a professional makeup artist, and she just came out with her second book, Love Me Too, Finding a Happy and Fulfilling Life After Sexual Abuse. And I don't need to tell you that this is going to be a special thing to listen to today. Obviously, the content is about healing after sexual abuse. So while there isn't anything graphic said, it is obviously for a more mature audience. So if you have kids listening, you might want to wait and listen to this at a different time. This is going to be part one. She had so much good stuff to say that instead of cutting her off short, I wanted to do two parts with Lita Green because I just feel like there's so much good stuff. But I also know for myself as someone that listens to podcasts a lot, sometimes it's hard to get in more than, you know, 20 to 30 minutes at a time. So I decided to separate the interview into two parts. So this week I'm releasing part one and next week part two will be coming out. Without further ado, here's the interview with Lita Green. I am excited to meet with Lita Green today. As I mentioned in the last episode, I first met you at a conference, so you don't fit the mold. Yep. And you were chucking dumb, dumb suckers at the audience, I remember. (laughs) And my friend was sitting next to me, and she had a little baby, and we were trying to, like, shield the baby. And you were so sweet. You saw the baby, and you, like, called out to us, and we're like, I am sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So, what you're telling me is I whacked a baby. You did it, but you almost did. okay, okay. you were apologetic about it, too. (laughs) Um, anyways, there, I was so inspired by how authentic you were. And I remember I went up to you during the lunch break and just asked for some advice. I told you I'd been having these stirrings in my heart that I needed to share my message and what advice would you give me? And 
I remember you kind of like reached over and touched my collarbone and kind of thumped it. And you told me, if you're having those feelings, who are you not to share it? If God's put it in you, you need to do it. That really impacted me. So thank you, first of all, for just kind of being part of that journey for me. Well, I have to confess, as you said, your moment along the journey. I love that you said that offline. But um, somebody did that to me, Jason Hewlett. When I went and confessed to him that I was having those stirrings. And so when people look me in the eye and you can tell that they really are and it's not about their own ego, then I pass it on. Yeah. And when we are called, when God tells us to do something, who are we not to do it? Whatever it is. You know, your listeners are out there. They're hearing something that God's telling them to do. And they're like, no, that'd be scary. That'd be out of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. But if God's put it in you. How do you not know that's one of your purposes of being here? Yes. So absolutely. Got to pass you. it on. We got to yeah. pass it on. So you will at some point thump somebody on the chest and say, I yeah, didn't hate your baby. <laughs> <laughs> You'll say, if God has put it in you, how dare you not? Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I've, I've actually even thought that the last couple episodes I've done when it's been just me and not with a guest afterwards, I go back and listen. I'm like, huh. That's actually pretty good. I don't think that was me and yeah. the way it flowed together. That worked out and it didn't feel that that was not all naturally me. And, and I think it's because God loves people. Right? Yeah, absolutely. He helps us in our gifts and our talents, even if we're not aware that that is our gift and talent. Mm, I love that. Okay, Lita, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so um, I like to scrapbook, and but I haven't done it in years because I've been so busy. But yeah. it's still there. I'll get back to it. Mm-hmm. I'll do it again. So, and, but I really, my main hobby, the main thing that I spend most of my time doing is being a mom outside of work. So I work, I wife, I mother, and I find being a wife and mom, the most fulfilling thing that I do and the most important thing that I do. And I would never want anyone to look at what I do publicly as a speaker or an author and say, oh, that's your thing. Yeah. I want them to know that this is a key part of who I am. And I've been able to be fortunate enough that I've been able to meld my my makeup career, my speaking career, my writing career with my family. And they are full on board and support me. So it happens to be there's a lady who goes and works at the bank every day and her family supports her. Mm-hmm. My job, people just clap for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should clap for people more often in life. <laughs> yes. Tell us about your new book, Love Me Too. Okay. So it's my second book. Mm-hmm. And... My first book, I like to back it up a little bit because it kind of explains my first book. I spent a lot of time being like, does the world really need one more book Mm -hmm. on confidence and self-esteem? And the answer is yes, because my book is going to touch other people. Like when you do your book, do you like how I just called you out? Because you've done your children's book, right? I've thought about it. Right. Yeah. So, but the (laughs) the world does need one more because it's going to touch different people. And my book sold over 10,000 copies now, and it's just huge. But it took me so much time that I agonized, like, should I really do this? Is it really what I should do? So I knew that I was going to do another book, and it's actually on my daughter, which is a different story. This book was a complete, complete surprise. The Me Too movement, which is what the book's about, there was a post that uh, there's all these different comments that you see on Facebook about me too and sexual abuse and assault and these things. And I was like, Oh, this is so good that we're having this conversation. And in my mind, I thought we're all on the same page. We're all on the same page. This is bad. We don't do this. We don't shame the victim, these different things. And yet as the conversations going forward, you see all this anger in the book. I talk about it, but there was a particular day that kind of rocked my, my star me. 
<laughs> I saw a picture of my abuser and it was like, oh, but at the same time, there had been this juxtaposition of me being a rock star, you know, and as a mom, as, as a, you know, businesswoman. And yeah, I saw that image and it was just like, oh, and it made me think about all these different messages and what I would say to my 14 year old self that would empower her. And it's not uncommon for me to pontificate about different things that I think about on Facebook. I am that girl. So sorry to everyone that follows me, right? And this particular post about what I would say to my 14-year-old self went pretty crazy. Tons. Viral? I don't, I don't, I feel like virals millions, but it was definitely thousands. Wow. That between the shares. That's viral to me, so. so I, I, I just say it went crazy because I don't want to over, but it went crazy. And within um, 12 hours of the original posting, I was offered a publishing deal. Wow. And more than that, God was like, do it. You're doing this. And I was sobbing because not because I didn't, I wasn't willing to help people or that I'm not willing to share, but it was something that was so big and so gritty that I just couldn't even imagine me sharing it at that level. Something so gritty. And how would, I'm funny. I'm a nice lady. This isn't, this isn't, uh, this isn't, I guess, in my brand. Yeah, you throw dum-dums at people. I throw dum-dums at people's (laughs) babies, right? (laughs) That's what you do. This is what I do. Yeah, I mean, these are my skill sets. And (laughs) I actually put up on a speaker group that I'm in, like, hey, I'm going to do this. And they're like, oh, this is a bad move. This is a bad career move. But yet, I was going to do it because God said to. All right, this is what I'm going to do. And how do I do it well? I started writing the book. And January 11th was the post. And the book is actually launching September 27th. So incredibly intense, had a whole entire team behind me with Snowy Peaks Media. They're amazing, very much believed in what what we wanted to do with the book. And I wanted to all be about hope. And um, some of the ambassadors of the book have been able to read it at this point. And they're all loving it. They can't put it down. And they're like, I laughed. I cried. I'm like, good. You laughed. You laughed on a book on sexual abuse. (laughs) So um, the whole point of why I'm speaking out is that I am a happy person. I am living a great life. And though this individual came into my life around when I was two and a half years old and I was able to extricate myself from him at 14, that's a long time of my fundamental years of who I am. I had to rework my inner workings of his grooming messages. And I was able to do that with therapy, with self-work and through the grace of God. And I want people to get that message that just because something bad happens to us, be it a divorce, a death, molestation, assault, we all, it's a guarantee that all of us are going to have bad things happen. Why would we define ourselves by those bad things? Mm -hmm. Why would we say that limits us? So that's the message of the book. I love it. (laughs) Was that too long of an answer? It was perfect. No, it was perfect. Can you briefly describe the time of your life when you were sexually abused? Well, it was a long period of my life. Like I said, he came into my life when I was around two and a half years old. And I know that inappropriate touches happened probably as young as three. And it's a really important thing to note that people are always like, where were your parents? But those are people who don't understand that the molester grooms the parents as well. He grooms the people around to accept this. And you know, he takes all the messages and the good that people do, these pedophiles, and they twist those messages. So when your parents say, you know, don't say anything, you can't say something nice. It's classic pedophile behavior to say, 
well, that wouldn't be nice to say that. You know, be kind, be sweet, be a good little girl or a good little boy, these kinds of messages. So it was from then till I was 14 years old. So and in my book, I do not describe the graphic nature of it because it doesn't need to be said. And the other thing is my story is not uncommon. It's one in three girls, one in five boys, and those are reported cases. And 80% of those that are molested are molested by someone they know. So stranger danger is, is dumb because it might be a stranger that helps you. If it's your dad, your uncle, your mom, your aunt, these kinds of things. And it's boys and girls. It's men and women. It's not just me. And so saying exactly how and when and what I was touched is not as important as where I am now. You know, when I taught in the public school, we did a Rad Kids program. And I remember us talking and teaching the lesson a little bit about molestation. And, and you have to be a little careful how you teach that in a public school. There's rules and things. But I remember feeling the importance of, of mentioning to the kids, now, if anybody touches you this way, if it's someone in your family, because the way the lesson that I saw it was laid out is it was more a stranger at the park, a stranger in the bathroom, and not that that can't happen. But I have felt the more experiences I hear and the more I learn about the issue, how important it is that kids understand your parents should not be touching you that way. I mean, and, and because of that, me and my husband both feel really strongly when we talk to our son about where it's appropriate for people to touch him and not. I explained to him, mom and dad only touch you in this way in these two specific situations when we're cleaning you, when, you know, when we're changing your diaper, because I want him to feel empowered that nobody touches him in those places. Absolutely. Can I give some advice? Please do. So with children at two, the twos, they're all about exploring their environment and seeing if their stimuli is still the same. If I do this, we'll get this, right? But they're also really wanting their own independence. So you're able to start insulating your child children from somebody molesting them without telling them. Mm. Because we don't, kids don't need to know those things. That would be a form of abuse to tell your kid, that man over there could be someone who's going to hit you could be someone who's going to hurt you. In a, they can't even comprehend what that is. Yeah, that doesn't feel right. So you give kids the boundaries, just like you would say, you don't run across the street, right? Mm -hmm. You give kids certain boundaries that you may explain or not explain, but this is what I did um, with my kids because I was such a young girl when this started. And I can look back and remember that he was touching me in places he shouldn't have long before my parents would have ever had to think, that there was a problem here, right? Right. So what I did with my kids is I would say, okay, you're getting so big in the tub. You are such a big kid. You know, I'm going to give you the rag or the loafer or whatever, and you clean your arm. And then when they did a good enough job cleaning their arm, I'd say, oh, you're so good at that. You know what? Mommy's not going to clean your arm anymore because you're in charge of cleaning your arm. That's your responsibility, your body, which also helps with that arm of yours is also in, con you are in control of that arm. So if it hits someone, you can't say, I don't know. Mm. So I'm giving them over responsibility of their body. And then you're just moving it from, you know, the arm, the elbow, the armpits to the chest area, you know, down to, and I believe in calling them vagina and penis and your bum or your bottom. I know it's just a funny word either way. <laughs> bottom. <laughs> bottom mm -hmm. with a British accent. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but calling them the anatomically correct thing. I was an interpreter for the deaf and there's a little kid that said, my wah-wah hurts. And just something I went, 
what? And nobody was peeking up on it but me. And I said, where's your Wawa? And I pointed to my elbow. Is this your Wawa? And the kid's like, no. Like, <laughs> you know, this little deaf kid, right? And just how silly of me. And I'm like, is you know, pointing to my chin. Is this your Wawa? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, weird, funny lady. Mm-hmm. And then I just moved to where I got closer to the areas that I thought were at risk. And sure enough, the child, when examined, um, had sores. Wow. And in the vagina. And, you know, mother was just horrified, had no idea. Um, and I don't know how the rest of the story went, um, but, you know, went over to the, the people that specialize in this. With my kids, I just gave them responsibility over their body. And um, I like calling it stewardship. Right? Right. They're in charge. No one else is in charge of their body. The other thing is we all have an inner compass that tells us good and tells us bad. You know, some people call it the gut feeling. Some people call it the spirit. I believe it's from God. That voice will tell us. And we've nurtured that in our children. Like I, if you read the playground, your kid's like, I don't feel good. Tell me more about that. And uh, helping them learn to honor that voice. If they feel like they're supposed to leave a situation, doesn't matter if it's not good for you. You get up and leave. Now, it's different than a tinter tantrum. But if they're not feeling safe around someone, then honor that. And it all played out that two and a half years old, my daughter refused to have someone hug her that, you know, honestly gives me the Mm weebie-jeebies, but I have no evidence. But the bottom line is she is in control of her body. And eventually, I'm going to have to, at a much younger age than I would want to be able to say, there are kids that do this to other kids because they've been exposed. And they're a victim and a molester all in the same time. And so it's very sticky. So we got to give our kids ownership of their bodies and ownership of their feelings. And if their feelings are saying, no, don't. So that's just some basic advice, but I actually teach workshops for parents on this. That's a great advice. As you know, this podcast is about how compassion and connection can save and change lives. Absolutely. Are there people in your life that have had compassion or connected with you in a really authentic way that has helped you heal from those experiences? Absolutely. In fact, that's one of the reasons I have to speak out. Because if the message is all about anger, as it is with the Me Too movement, and again, we all are entitled to have anger. It is part of the cycle of grief. But it is it's being put forward as though it's a destination, as though that's a final landing place. And for me, gracefully, I was not given the message that I was damaged or broken or I used up tissue like Elizabeth Smart had been told that by somebody. You know, very upsetting things. I'm in the same church as Elizabeth Smart, but I got the doctrine that the atonement of Jesus Christ is good for everything, right? I didn't get that I was damaged, thankfully. And that was from, you know, women in the neighborhood, um, Sunday school teachers at church. And it wasn't something that was publicly talked about as it wouldn't have been in the 80s. But I know that people picked up on that. You mean sexual abuse? Yeah, we just, you just didn't talk about it. And my parents weren't hiding it. In fact, um, my, my mother told me recently that my grandmother was just, uh, you know, bless her soul, uh, was just, you cannot address this at all. You cannot talk about this. You cannot, with the way that my grandmother, the not, you know, if you <laughs> drop the, oh, it's just very serious. And you cannot talk about this. It's just ruin Lita. Nobody will ever. And it's interesting that I look back as an early teenager, my grandmother was always telling me that nobody would marry me. And I talk about that in my first book. And you put the two pieces of information together. And my grandmother literally felt not only because I was not physically pleasing to her in what she described as what's a perfect, beautiful woman, but she viewed me as damaged. And in my college years, whenever I would had, you know, had a boyfriend or something, it was, well, 
but you can't really trust Lita's taste in men. And I knew what they were referencing, and it was like, whoa. And it was because women that I cleaned house for would sit me down and they would say, and they would just tell me very tenderly things, and not in a graphic manner, but that I knew that they knew and that they knew I could be okay. They took that moment to just look me in the eyes and tell me it was going to be all right. As many people as there are some that will not be compassionate around this, there are those that that can't be compassionate because of their own experience or their prejudice or whatever, but, you know, gravitate towards those that can. And fortunately, there were those people. And even now with me coming out about it, it's been interesting how different people have responded. But, you know, I'm a grown woman now. I'm 45. I'm a legit adult. You got a cute husband that just that just came in to walk into the recording, right? <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got all the good things of life. And I have to stand up and you know, maybe at that time that was the right thing to do was just quietly across the kitchen table. But as loud as the voices are that there's anger, there has to be voices that are just as loud saying hope. And so that's why I'm doing it is I'm hoping to be that voice of compassion, that voice that gives boys and girls, the little kids in us, that it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. How have your experiences given you empathy for other people who have struggles? Such a great question. This is Thank you. one of the, you're like, I came up with that question like, myself. All on my own. <laughs> yeah. Me Sitting me. at the park this morning with my kids. Because <laughs> that's, that's how we do it, yep. right? That's Absolutely. how That's how rock stars do it. We multitask on certain, you know, you're watching them at the park and you can write out some cool things, right? Um, I actually believe that whatever darkness we are exposed to, we also have the opportunity to have that same light. So the yin and the yang opposites, right? I have been exposed to great darkness. I also have been able to bring great light into my life because the moment that I knew that God was real is not a cheerful moment, but it was a moment that he needed to speak to me because it was, it was a dark time. And I share that and we don't, we don't have a whole, I can't read the whole book to you right now, right? <laughs> um, one of the, the reward for working on yourself after hard things is that I am a much more empathetic person than I would have been. And it's hard to say that because it's like you were, that's who you became. But after I went through the pain of it, after I went through all of those stages of grief that you have to go through, on the other side is a great empathy. I see the world and I see people and I see someone hurting. I go, maybe they too. Maybe they as well. And they're just not as far along on that journey as I am. I'm not a judgmental person. Unless you are mean to other people, then I will call you poopy. (laughs) So, (laughs) right. But I just, um, it's made me kinder. And I believe that, that we all have that opportunity for that extra added light. And that's something I'd like to have be that message that I, I am not less than in any way because somebody tried to violate me, my soul, and they tried, violated my body. And I'm not less than. God will compensate us for greater light. I am actually better because of that. I can relate to that so much. Just what you talked about with the greater darkness, the greater light. I remember a therapist telling me this and this helped me so much and was just really had an impact on me. She talked about, she kind of used her hands to show a spectrum. It's almost like a curtain and there's this world behind it that you don't really know exists. When you've pulled back that curtain and you've experienced some of that darkness and it's this whole other just reality that for me, I didn't know exist till a certain point. But once you've been there, 
you also have a greater capacity to feel even more joy and happiness than you've ever felt. And Absolutely. she just talked about how it was a swinging spectrum. You have felt pain way over here now and suffered way, way over here now. But you also are then able to swing that just as far the other way, further than you could have before, because you know about what's behind the curtain. It's like a relationship. So anyone who's had a dear friend or a marriage and you have a fight or a you know, with that friend and then you make up after or you or your marriage and you make up after and it's like, wow, not only did I like him this much, but now I know I can have a breakdown. I can have ugly thoughts and feelings and we can get past those feelings and you like you're safer with them. So imagine that relationship with yourself. I know I can do really awesome, hard things. Now, I'm a really happy person. And it was always funny to me that when I was 18, 19, first getting out into the world, People would say, well, Lita, when you grow up and you've really experienced life, you won't be so cheerful. And I'd be like, you have no idea what I've experienced. I mean, it's so funny now that I'm out, but I experienced various forms of abuse. And yet I'm a happy person. And I read this quote that I put in both my books. I love it so much. It's by Nathaniel Braden. He's a renowned psychologist. There's tons of books that he's written. And it's basically paraphrasing it. It says that when you see someone who's happy, despite life's experiences, you're looking at a spiritual achievement. And that was up on my mirror for years because I'm like, right, right. I did that. Yeah. And I can trust me to a deeper level because I'm not living as a victim. Have I been a victim? Absolutely. I've also been a survivor, but I'm putting forward that there's a third phase called advocacy. And advocacy is somebody who's been there, overcomes, and lifts others up. And so I've been good for a long time. I mean, I've been married for 20 years. And fortunately, I did all the self-work that before I got married, I'm like, oh, by the way, this could pop up as an issue, but I'm going to commit to go to therapy if I need to. The man that chose to violate me has never been in my married bed, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. He's never been there. Now, that's not the case with everyone. But for me, I had the intervening years between 14 and 24. That's 10 years to work on me. To work on you. And fortunately, I was able to do that. But even if, you know, you're 40 and you're like, wait a minute, the violator's still there. You can do the work to get him out. It's not in my inner thoughts. So I've been really good for a long time. It helps me to be able to say look, I'm great. And it doesn't rip my soul when I hear about it from other people, because I know that there's that hope on the other side. And so I can speak out because I'm not doing this onstage therapy. If I'm still in that survivor hurting phase, I'm good. That's the point. I'm, I'm good. I'm mm-hmm. great. And you really are. I really It's am. not just a, a cliche motivational speech that we hear that we can't relate to. You really are great. You're full of light. You're happy. I am. And there you have it. That is the end of part one. I can't wait for you to hear part two next week. It's incredible, right? Who knew you could feel so uplifted on an episode having to do with sexual abuse? That is the power of Lita Green. I am going to have in the show notes her website, a link to her most recent TED Talk where she talks about this more, and a link to Amazon where you can order her book. You can also order her book at litagreen.com. And I know you can pre-order copies and they will actually be signed by her. So that's pretty cool. If you are loving all this good stuff as much as I am and you want to shoot me a review or if you want to send me a moment that you've had where you have really been able to see someone or someone has seen you, remember to message me on my website, julieleespeaks.com. I will see you guys next time for part two with Lita Green. See you later.